those who don't know me, my name is Becky Fry, and I am the administrative director and a member of our preaching team. And whether you're a guest with us or you attend often, our goal for you is the same as it is for everyone every week, that we would all be taking one step forward in our faith towards Jesus. We've been spending the past few weeks in our series, One Size Fits None, where we've been exploring how we are all different in the ways that God has created us, and how understanding our individual wiring can help us connect to God in a deeper way. But I have to admit, as I've been thinking about this series, especially about preaching today, I found it a bit hard to connect to, to the message and why it really matters to me. And I just, I agreed with Pastor Jimmy and the quote that he's been using all series um, from Augustine where it says, Grant, Lord, that I may know myself, that I may know thee. And I understand that self-awareness is absolutely necessary for our growth. But I still had trouble caring about why different spiritual pathways mattered to us and how they were going to help us connect to God. And maybe you're here listening to me this morning and you feel the same way. You're wondering, why does what we're talking about this morning or in this series matter to your life? Does knowing if I like being outside or if I like caring for people, does that really impact how I connect to God? Aren't we all supposed to be appreciating God's creation and loving people by caring for them? Aren't we all supposed to be reading the Bible and worshiping him with our joyful noises? The quick answer is yes. We all at some point in our lives will interact with and participate in the nine different sacred pathways. But what has really helped me understand this and make it a little bit more relevant and frame it in a way that makes sense to me is the concept of love languages. If you're here this morning in person, how many of you have heard of the concept of love languages? Just give me a quick, okay, awesome. So most of you have. I thought I was familiar with them as well. But over the past few months, my husband Joe and I read, or rather we listened to the book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. Now Gary Chapman is a counselor who discovered his premise after years of counseling couples who were having relationship issues. But the principles that he came up with benefit people in every relationship that they have. He believes that each person has an individual love tank that needs to be filled by other people in order for us to feel secure in their love. Throughout his practice, he observed that there were five main ways that people had their love tank filled, how they give and receive love. And they are quality time, physical touch, acts of service, giving gifts, and words of affirmation. Every person has one primary love language that we speak, one that fills our tank the best. And that's not to say that the other love languages are not important, or that all five shouldn't be present in every relationship that we have, but that we all speak one primary love language of the heart. The problem he saw over and over again in the relationships was that people would come to him and say, I don't feel loved. But their spouse, who was in counseling with them, would be like, I don't understand why. I'm doing X, Y, and Z for them. I can't understand how they're not feeling love. What more could they possibly want from me? 
We easily run into issues if we don't know how the other person in the relationship gives and receives love. For example, and this is just an example, not necessarily um, Joe and my wiring, but let's just say that for our purposes today, my love language is physical touch. So I desire when Joe comes home for work, for him to give me a hug and a kiss hello, for him to be able you know, to want to hold my hand whenever we go for a walk or throughout the day, or you know, I'm expecting that we definitely you know, would cuddle by watching a movie on the couch. But let's say his primary love language is acts of service. So he comes home from work, and he's going to set the table, he's going to do the dishes for me, he's going to fold the laundry, or he's going to vacuum the house for me. Now, if you're sitting there thinking like, that would be absolutely awesome, um, your love language might be acts of service. In this scenario, though, I could get really frustrated with him because I feel like my needs are not being met. Because he comes home and he focuses on doing things for me rather than being with me. He could get frustrated because he feels like he's showing me a ton of love and I'm just not appreciating everything that he's doing for me. In the same way, he could get easily annoyed at all my attempts at PDA or that I consistently don't make the bed in the morning. We need to speak and understand each other's love language for us to feel and experience being loved in our relationship. Knowing in our mind that we are loved is not enough. We need our experiences with that person to echo that love back to us and to help us translate that knowledge from our head to our heart. Now, the same thing can happen in our relationship with God. We can intellectually know that God loves us, and we can understand his love as a concept. But just like with people, if our experiences with God do not connect us to his love, we can struggle to feel loved by him. We can quote all the verses telling us that God loves us and sent Jesus to die for us, but we can still feel unconnected to his love. And one of the reasons why we might experience this disconnect is that we might not understand the way he created us to connect with him. He has designed each of us with a unique way to respond and connect to his love. In this series, we're exploring nine of them. I'm calling them love languages. We could call them secret pathways. Whichever way you want to look at it, they're all ways for us to help connect to God. When we're unaware of what they are, we can fall into the trap of trying to love God like we see the people around us doing. We can try to replicate the love language that we see in the Christian community we're a part of, even if we don't speak that language. And that can cause a disconnect in our relationship with God. We have a tendency as a global Christian community, not just Crossbridge, to shrink loving God down to a set of rules or to-dos, like attending church or reading the Bible or singing songs of worship to him. And in doing so, we create a religion that we follow instead of a relationship that we participate in. 
We neglect the rich and the diverse ways that God has created us to love him. When we try to love and connect to God in ways that don't fill our love tank, it can lead us to feeling burned out and tired and just really dry in our faith. The Christian life can just start to feel dull and like a list of things we have to do rather than a list of things that we get to do out of an overflow of our love for Christ. And I think that's why we're talking about the different pathways for loving God. We want to recognize and honor the way that God has created us uniquely in his image and help us take steps of faith that help us resonate with God. God promised us an abundant life and not a list of to-dos. But we have to be aware of how our love tank with God is filled so that we can love him out and other people out of an overflow of our heart and not a drudging duty. So today we actually get to explore two different love languages or sacred pathways. So far in this series, we've looked at loving God through nature with the naturalist, and last week we looked at loving God through caring for others with the caregiver. Now we're going to be looking at God through the two pathways of the aesthetic and the contemplative. The definitions that we've used so far in this series have been aesthetics connect to God through silence and solitude, and contemplatives connect to God through adoration. <clears throat> Another way Gary Thomas puts it in his book, Sacred Pathways, is that aesthetics say, let me alone, and contemplatives say, let me feel. Let's look at each one of these a little bit deeper. You might have a preference for aestheticism if you feel closest to God when you are alone and without distractions. The idea of going on an overnight retreat by yourself at like a monastery or retreat center where you'd spend large amounts of time in silence, praying, studying God's word, or fasting appeals to you. The ideas of silence, solitude, discipline, and, and simplicity speak to your heart. I actually love this list, and it does speak to my heart language. Aesthetics connect best to God without the distraction of other people or things around them. Historically, people have associated asceticism with monks and hermits. In the Bible, John the Baptist is often looked at as a model for asceticism, as he spent large amounts of time with the Essenes prior to his public ministry. And the Essenes were just a group, an ancient Jewish sect, that was known for very strict religious practices and aestheticism. They had communal living, and they devoted themselves to spiritual purity. They placed a strong emphasis on rituals, on prayer, on study, and the pursuit of righteousness. He was part of this community within the desert while he was waiting for God to call him to his public ministry as they awaited the Messiah. Leaning towards the aesthetic pathway, though, does not mean that you want to be or that you have to be a monk living alone in the desert, never wanting to see anyone else. Although that is sometimes appealing, as relationships can be really hard. We can cultivate and learn to be alone, even in the midst of our everyday life, though. Philip Rousseau, who's an expert on early Christianity, wrote, dying to others, one of the basic requirements of a solitary aesthetic became more of an inner disposition, 
quite compatible with the proximity to other men. When talking about any sacred pathway, but especially the aesthetic, we need to remember that we are filling our love tank with God and deepening our connection to him so that we can love people well. As we've talked about in our previous weeks, spiritual formation is the process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. This means that while an aesthetic can retreat away to fill their love tank and recharge, it also necessitates them to re-engage with society and to share God's love with them. Jesus doesn't call us to withdraw from the world, but to declare the gospel to those around us. It's a both and, not an either or. Someone who connects to the aesthetic pathway is going to connect to God best through disciplines like silence and solitude, simplicity, retreats away, fasting, and night watches. And they typically need a set time away each day and throughout the year to be alone with God without other distractions. And these distractions can be just about anything. They can be too much clutter in the room that they're in. It can be a ticking clock that like they, once they noticed it, they can't stop noticing it. Um, it can be music that's playing in the background. It could be a smell of incense or perfume. And while some of those um, sensory items, maybe not the clutter, but some of those other things can be great for a person on the sensate pathway, which Jeremy's actually gonna cover for us next week, for the aesthetic person, these items do not draw them closer to God, but they distract them from God. Aesthetics can practice simplicity by removing and donating unnecessary items in their home or wardrobe. They could choose only to wear a handful of items over and over, or you know, they can be like Pastor Jimmy and decide that they're only gonna wear black. It could also mean simple things like eating the same thing every day for breakfast because it's one less thing that you then have to think about and it gives you more space to contemplate God. Fasting comes in many forms, and it can include total food fasts, partial food fasts, restricting just certain types of food. Fasting can also mean that you fast from something that distracts you, like social media or TV or, you know, sometimes for me it's even reading books. Um, if you do want to try fasting and you want to do a food fast, just one caveat, please check with your doctor to make sure that you are medically able to do the type of fast that you want to do. Okay. For the friends and family members of someone who is an aesthetic, we need to recognize that they need a certain amount of time alone every day and throughout the year to be with God, and it doesn't mean they're being antisocial. I personally lean towards this pathway, like I said, and I find these summer months when my four kids are home and there's more people in my house and there's lots of activities going on, I find it a lot harder to connect to God on a daily basis because I don't have as much time alone as I would like to. Not that I don't love my kids who are sitting there listening to me. Sometimes it is helpful for an aesthetic to wake up earlier so that you can have some time alone either in the morning at home or at your office. Or if you're not a morning person, you could stay up late and get the same benefit. As I mentioned earlier, the discipline of night watches, which is really just praying through the night, 
they can also be a good discipline for someone to practice. And if you have insomnia, it's a great way to redeem that time by using it purposely to pray for God, to God. In addition to the Essenes and John the Baptist, we can see other examples of the aesthetic throughout the Bible. In fact, we often see Jesus practicing aestheticism throughout his ministry. There are lots of passages that talk about Jesus drawing away to a deserted place to pray, but today we're going to look at just one, and it's the passage that Dell read for us earlier. In the first chapter of Mark, it tells us that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus was spending the majority of his day pouring out God's love to the myriad of people around him. He was healing the sick, delivering demonized people, and preaching about the kingdom of God. But before he could continue his work the next day, he needed to spend time refueling and recharging with his father. And he withdrew to an isolated place to pray and be without all the distractions of people around him. When he's found the next morning, his disciples don't understand why he had disappeared. They expected him to just be there and ready to keep on going in the same town. But after spending time with his father throughout the night, Jesus was not only refreshed, he was also refocused on the work that God was calling him to do. And he knew that he was supposed to follow God's direction and move to another town instead of staying put like all the people around him wanted him to do. The aesthetic's goal is to try and remove all distractions in order for them to grow closer to God. And that's why disciplines like silence and solitude are important and why disciplines like fasting and simplicity are helpful. But aesthetics don't participate in these self-limiting disciplines just for the sake of suffering. Aesthetics are strict only because they want to reserve a major portion of their lives for the passionate pursuit of God, says Gary Thomas in Spiritual Pathways. Our focus for all of these pathways is on deepening our relationship with God and connecting with him more. Our focus isn't actually on the specific activities that we decide to do, but on how it can help helps us connect to God and love God more so that we can then love others more. Another pathway that has been closely connected to aestheticism is the contemplative pathway. This is typically because most of the activities and disciplines that a contemplative likes to do are typically done alone and in places without a lot of distraction. But a contemplative is different from an aesthetic because their main focus is on emotionally feeling the love of God. All the different pathways or love languages should help us match our knowledge of God's love to our experience of God's love. For the contemplative, they connect to God most through their emotions. 
They desire above all else to be in the full and manifest presence of God. And they yearn for feelings of being loved by and being in love with God. And that's why we say that adoration is a contemplative's goal. They want to adore or love God with their whole being. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. People who lean towards the um, pathway of the contemplative take this idea very seriously. They abhor just going through the motions and giving lip service to God. They want their emotions to be activated and they want to bask in God's love. From their point of view, being a follower of Jesus is all about their intimacy and the relationship with God. And just like a person who would speak the love language of physical touch wants to physically feel their spouse's love, a contemplative wants to physically feel and experience God's love through their emotions, and they lean into disciplines that would allow them to do this. Let's think back for a moment to the psalm that Dell read for us. It uses phrases like, My God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. Your love is better than life. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest foods. This psalm is rich with the language of the contemplative. So how do you know if you're a contemplative? Besides, you know, taking the spiritual assessment that we've talked about every single week and it's spitting back that as an answer. You might be a contemplative if you feel closest to God when your emotions are awakened and you feel like God is your closest friend. You would rather be alone with God, meditating on his love, than participating in a formal church service or possibly walking outside. And the most difficult times in your walk with Jesus are when you can't feel his presence with you. Contemplatives tend to seek God's face and the intimacy that it brings and not just his hands and what he can do for them. The greatest gift that a contemplative can receive is time spent in God's presence. There are many ways that a person with a contemplative temperament likes to spend time in his presence and to empty themselves of the things that can choke out our desire for God. If you think of your soul like a suitcase, a contemplative makes sure that they are unpacking their dirty laundry or their sins so that they have more room in their suitcase to fill with God's presence. And when I say sin, what I mean is anything that we think, say, or do that displeases God or falls short of God's holiness. Unpacking the suitcases of our soul is something we all should be doing as Christians. But it is something that a contemplative more naturally does because they want to have more space for God's presence. Disciplines like confession or the Jesus prayer are often used by contemplatives. For those not familiar with the Jesus prayer, it's a simple prayer that says, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Its purpose is to practice the presence of God in your quiet prayer time, and you would just sit and wait on God. 
And every time you felt like your mind started to wander, you would say the prayer again, and it would help you refocus. And it isn't necessarily about the words that we say, but the focus that it brings us to. So often we can shrink prayer to just rattling off a list of things we need from God before running out the door in the morning to get on with our day. But the contemplative in these different disciplines reminds us that we also need to stop and listen for God's answers. The Jesus prayer, centering prayer, and the prayer of the heart all remind us that listening is a major part or should be a major part of our prayer life too. Centering prayer is a form of meditation where you pick a word or phrase throughout your time, to focus on throughout your time. It's similar to the Jesus prayer, but it's typically just a word or two. It can be just repeating Jesus every time your mind wanders, or Father, or love, or peace. But I want to give a quick warning here about meditation. When we meditate as followers of Jesus, we are not looking to empty ourselves. We are not looking to open ourselves to different spirits that are out there or to come to a place where we learn to become God, like many New Age spiritualities encourage. Christian meditation looks only to empty ourselves of our sin so that we can be filled more with the Holy Spirit. We are never looking to become empty vessels when we meditate. Centering prayer and the words we choose always have a goal of focusing on God and being filled with more of God's presence, not emptying our mind or will. The same is true for the prayer of the heart, and that's a form of prayer that focuses on what emotions we are feeling in God's presence. Our feelings are not to become a God to us, but they are an important part of our relationship with Jesus, and we need to avoid either extreme that we typically take with emotions, where we focus on our emotions willy-nilly, and we don't worry about how they interact with the Bible, or we go all the way to the other extreme, and we say, I'm not going to worry about my emotions at all. It doesn't matter, and we kind of just stuff them away. Our emotions are important, and the prayer of the heart helps us focus on what we are feeling and looking at God in that moment and sitting and basking in the emotions that he has given us. As a contemplative, we also need to make sure that we are not getting addicted to the spiritual experience and chasing the next feeling rather than God. And I'm sure we've all had experiences where we've gone away on a retreat or a missions trip or something similar, and we came back and we felt like we were on top of the world and we were so excited. And these are amazing times and they can be hugely beneficial to our walk with Jesus. But if we don't know how to seek his face and walk with him when we're also in the valleys or in the everyday, our faith is going to end up being shallow, and we're going to be like a boat tossed about on a stormy sea as our emotions shift and change. We need to make sure that our focus is on God and not the emotional feelings or experience. We need to make sure that we're not seeking a particular feeling, but truly seeking God. Contemplatives, we also need to make sure that we move beyond just meditating on God, and we also need to bring our will into alignment with what he says. 
It isn't enough just to meditate on God and then go our own way and do our own thing. If we do that, we end up like the man in the mirror in James where he says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. There is a purpose in everything a contemplative does, and that purpose is growing closer to God through their feelings. But contemplatives can tend to get a lot of slack from other Christians because it doesn't always seem like they're doing anything. A contemplative focuses much more on being with Jesus than doing things for Jesus. Just think of the story of Mary and Martha from the Bible to illustrate this point. Martha, the older sister, is frustrated because Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet and listening to him and being in his presence. And Martha is running around, you know, doing her caregiving as she takes care of everyone else. And it looked to her like Mary was doing nothing. But in reality, Mary was loving Jesus through her contemplative pathway and connecting to God. She wasn't just sitting idle. And that's why it's important for us to remember that we are striving to be centered set in our relationship with Jesus and not bounded set. Centered set means that we are all on our own faith journey with Jesus and we are not comparing ourselves to those around us and how good or bad they might be doing. It assumes that we'll all be in different spaces, but as long as we are focused on Jesus at the center, then we're taking good steps. Bounded set looks around at the other people in the room and it tries to figure out how much and how good am I compared to you? Am I doing better than the person sitting next to me? How about the guy four rows back from me? Am I, you know, and it's not focused on Jesus. It's focused on those around us and it creates competition and it can create joy when other people fail, which is so not the point of our faith. It also can create an in-group and an outgroup based on how well we think we're going and striving against the spoken or unspoken expectations. At Crossbridge, we strive to be a centered set community who encourages each and every person to be taking their step of faith towards Jesus, supporting one another in our faith, and not competing for Jesus' love against one another. Understanding our sacred pathway or our love language with God is helpful with being centered set because it reminds us to give grace to the people around us who are doing their best and trying to connect with God. We don't get to judge why people do certain things, but we get to encourage them and possibly explore new pathways ourselves and new ways that we can connect to God. Understanding our love languages or pathways can help us deepen our relationship with God. But only if we first have a relationship with God and we understand who we are in Christ. If we don't start there, then the rest of this really doesn't matter. So before I close today, I want to ask, 
do you have a relationship with Jesus? One that's not just intellectual assent to the idea of Jesus, but one that's built on trust in the grace and mercy he offers each and every one of us. If you do not have that type of relationship with Jesus, today is a great day to start one. We are all people who are broken in need of God's healing and struggling with the problem of sin. And as I said before, sin is anything that we think, say, or do that displeases God and falls short of his holiness. Isaiah 64, 6 says it this way. We are constant sinners. How can people like us be saved? We are all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. The punishment for our sin is death. There is nothing that we on our own can do to erase the penalty of our sin, and there is no amount of good deeds that we can do to earn God's grace, because even our best effort falls short of God's holiness. But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus paid the penalty for our sin, and he can heal our brokenness. He died on the cross to take our sin of the world, the sin of the world, so that whosoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. And not only eternal life, but a restored relationship with him today. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating the power of death and sin, and he created a way for us to be in a restored relationship with him. There's no special prayer you have to pray But if that's the desire of your heart, then tell God right now, and he will send his Holy Spirit as your help, as your guide, and as your seal of salvation in Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. If this is your heart's desire, I pray, take the next step in your faith towards Jesus and start a relationship with him. And if you are already a follower of Jesus, whether it be for a few minutes, weeks, or years, my question for you is, are you standing on the truth of your identity in Christ? We can often not feel God's love or have a close connection with him, not because we don't understand our spiritual pathways, but we don't truly believe who he says we are. We allow Satan's lies to shift our foundation. The foundation of our identity is who Jesus says we are. We are his beloved. We are redeemed. We were chosen in him before the creation of the world to be holy and just. We are a royal priesthood and a holy nation. We are his daughter. We are his son. We are his beloved child. We are fully forgiven. And the Holy Spirit lives in us, filling us with his presence and reminding us of his truth. We need, 
We need to be standing on this firm foundation. He is the rock on which we stand. And only once we are firmly rooted there can the sacred pathways then help us lead into a deeper relationship with the Father's love. As we start to move into a time of communion, I want to just give everyone a little bit of time right now to connect with Jesus. I want you to listen to what he's saying to your heart, what next step he's possibly calling you to. So I'm just going to pause for a few seconds and let you hear him. I know some of you still might be listening and you spend the time that you need to do that. If we could sit here for hours, I'm a contemplative, so I would just love it. But um, some of you are not, so I'm not going to do that to you. But communion is our way of sharing a family meal together. It's saying in our actions what we believe in our heart and our mind. If you are a follower of Jesus, then our table is open to you. You are our brother and sister in Christ, and so you are invited forward. Everything is gluten-free, and you can either take a cracker and break it and dip it, or you can take the prepackaged. And for today, you do not have to wait to eat it together at your seat. You can go ahead. Feel free to come forward when you're ready.